Welcome to another episode of Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this new episode. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Brooke Paulson. Brooke is an amazing actress and musician and just an incredible human being. And I had some time to catch up with her in a rental car in downtown Toronto where we recorded our podcast. Also today on the show, because it's a special holiday edition, I'm joined by Twin Kennedy, an incredible duo from Nashville, who's going to be serenading us at the end of the podcast with one of their Christmas holiday songs. Really looking forward to that as well. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. I'd like to start off the podcast today with um, a piece of writing that has been playing out in my mind ever since I read it. Um, It's from a book called Embers uh, by an author named Richard Wagamese. And if you haven't heard of this book, go pick it up. It's incredible. Um, There's a conversation in the book. It's uh, a bunch of these excerpts. And this one uh, conversation in particular, just the wisdom of it really, really inspired me. And I want to share it with you. Uh, It's a conversation between a character named me and a character named Old Woman. And this is how it goes. Me. I've been waiting for messages from Creator. Old Woman. They always come, but waiting is not seeing. Expecting is not feeling. Demanding is not hearing. Me. I don't get it. Old Woman. I know. But those clouds are Creator's handwriting. That wolf track in the mud is Creator's touch. Those birds singing in the trees are Creator's voices. A drum beating or your own heartbeat is Creator's Morse code. Children and elders and life itself are Creator's exclamation marks. I started to get the message after that. I just love that piece of writing because it reminds me that everything is connected and when we're paying attention in the present moment, every conversation everything that we appreciate around us, it's all connected to this source that's greater than any single one of us. You know, a lot of our fear and anxiety, especially around this time of year with the holidays, tends to come from this place of a feeling of separation, like I'm in this alone, or I'm not going to get this done, and there's not enough time, and I'm separate from, and my ego tells me I need to do more and make more and be more. But the truth is, if you just pause in those moments of anxiety, and look around you, we are so supported by everything that we place our attention on with the perspective that I am connected and I am supported. And speaking of being supported, I wanted to let you know that I am here to support you in your practice of mindfulness and tapping into that place of the present moment. I recently just released a brand new online course training program and it's called Making Sense of Mindfulness. It's based around uh, the principles that are in my new book, Making Sense of Mindfulness. Uh, This is a course that will take you into a deep experiential experience of how to bring mindfulness practices and tools into your life. Um, I've had a lot of questions from people that uh, are wanting to take this course. Uh, The big question is, do I have to take this course within a certain period of time? And I just wanted to let you know, you don't actually have to do that. You can do this course at whatever time you choose, in whatever way you choose. And in fact, I've designed it in a way that um, you can take this course numerous times at your own speed and always get something new out of it. So I invite you to go check that out at my website and uh, let me know if you have any other questions about it. I'm happy to, to answer them and guide you through this process. 
All right, so let's get to the podcast with Brooke. And uh, for those of you that don't know Brooke Paulson, she is an incredible actress. She was uh, on the show Less Than Kind on HBO, and that's where I first discovered her. I used to watch this show Less Than Kind faithfully. Um, One of the reasons I loved it is because it was set in my hometown of Winnipeg. So a lot of the scenes on the TV show are happening actually in my hometown. And uh, I just became a huge fan of this show. So when I got to meet Brooke through a mutual friend and we ended up playing music, I found out she was a musician and we ended up playing music together at a benefit concert. I was blown away. At first, I was like convinced that Brooke was actually the character that she played on the show, Miriam. And I couldn't get my mind around, she's actually not Miriam, but she's Brooke. Um, So anyways, over the years, we've become great friends. And I was fortunate enough to uh, produce Brooke's first solo album. She's just an amazing musician, songwriter, creator. She has so many stories, and uh, I really look forward to sharing all of this with you on the podcast today. Uh, Brooke and I met in downtown Toronto for this this interview, and uh, we sat in my rental car. It was just so cool. So um, here's Brooke Paulson. Well, this is a first. I'm sitting in a car in downtown Toronto, um, paid for parking, so this is going to last as long as my parking. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sitting in the car with my friend Brooke, Brooke Paulson. Welcome to Let's Connect the Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you took time to be in the car with me this morning. Of course. This is <laughs> oh awesome. Oh my gosh, this is such a funny. <laughs> I think it's great. Okay, great. This is, I've never, I couldn't imagine this being even more cool. Where's the weirdest part, place you've done a, a podcast? Um, well, I was in a little cubby hole in a basement Stop. north of here in Toronto a few days ago doing some. <laughs> really? But, but this <laughs> tops it as the coolest thing ever. Front, We're in the front seat of a, a rental car. I feel like you should just try to get like more and more obscure settings. <laughs> I think this could be something. <laughs> as the podcast goes on. I love it. <laughs> this girl this, is this girl's us. looking at us because we're wearing. She's like, "Why are these people looking like they're flying a plane right now?" This is fantastic. <clears> yeah, for <throat> those of <throat> you listening that aren't watching the live feed that Brooke's doing, we're wearing headphones with these little mics, and we look like we're flying an airplane, but we're in a car. Yeah, it's random. It's a great sight for everyone involved. Very much. So, Brooke. Ooh. Tell, oh, she's getting me. real close. Sorry, she's Whoa. backing up. There's, yeah, this is going to be a Ooh. distracting podcast. Yeah, a little bit. Speaking about mindfulness in the car here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'll try to center myself. Okay, great. Well, welcome. Thank you. Glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here and talking about mindfulness. Uh, I don't know how much I know about mindfulness. Well, that's okay. It's. Uh, I don't know how much anybody really knows. It's kind of okay. an obscure word and a okay. buzzword. Great. No one really knows what that means. So... So this is mindfulness as far as I'm concerned as, we, excellent, get, excellent. as we get present in the car. Okay, present in the car. So take me back b- yeah. for everybody that's <clears> listening <throat> that is not familiar with you and your background. Um, we first met mm-hmm. uh, in a very random way. Yeah, yeah, that would have been, uh, <clears throat> that was the fundraiser for Mike O'Brien. Yeah. Um, so Mike played my dad on Less Than Kind many moons ago and less than kind for those listening that don't know the show yeah less than kind was a uh, canadian hbo series um that was on for four seasons i think we filmed it over six years um and it was kind of like a dry comedy or at least it started as a very dry comedy so i think we tried to attribute it to something like weeds or arrested development and then unfortunately maury chaikin was diagnosed with cancer and then the show kind of went through a different trajectory and it became a bit darker. Mm. 
And then Mike O'Brien, who played my father, was diagnosed. And then it just kind of ended up being a very dark show with comedic elements. Yeah, that must have been so interesting to be on a TV show where you get super close to these people like Mm -hmm. family. And then two of them now have passed away. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I was cast on the show when I was 13. And we stopped filming. I would have probably been 20, I think, by the time we filmed our last season. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of life to go through in a short span of time. But, uh, yeah, our introduction happened during Michael Bryan's uh, fundraiser, um, which was kind of cool. So It was. Did you, you knew Monique ahead of time. I knew, yeah, somebody that was working yeah. for the show. And she called me up and said, um, we, we really love your music and we're doing a fundraiser for this actor, Mike, who's going to be on Less Than Kind. Yes. And she said, would you be willing to collaborate with the girl that plays Miriam? Which was Miriam? completely unbeknownst to me. Like, I had no <laughs> idea. I think I just used to take, like, my ukulele to set, and she'd heard it at some point. Really? And so she'd spoken to you. Did I had no idea. And then she's like, hey, Keith and Renee want you on stage. I was like, holy <laughs> crap. Because you guys had played my high school, and you were like... Well, pig celebs. That was the crazy thing is I had become a fan of the show. Like and yeah. I used to watch you as the character Miriam on the show. Oh my gosh. And I thought, <laughs> how cool is this that I'm actually going to meet somebody yeah. that I watch on TV? I love that then, show. And then, yeah, my heart was like, you and I had that Skype call yeah. that I think was four hours. Yeah. Like we immediately, like it was just... A friendship was born. And we were like, I was, I have to say, I was like starstruck when I met you because it's the most surreal thing. I (laughs) wanted to call you Miriam, but you're Brooke. And I'm like, I just knew your character. No, but the feeling was completely mutual because you had played at my high school during (laughs) Wee Day. And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) That is really cool. I love how like the, the universe just like makes these crazy things happen and it's like synergy. And then all of a sudden Hmm. we're in each other's lives and. We've become such great friends and we've had so many amazing, I mean, we made a record together. Yeah. It's so yeah. amazing. It's kind of incredible. I was thinking about it this morning and you you have been like there for huge milestones. Like you played both of my sister's weddings. Yeah, that's right. We played Mike's benefit concert together. We played Mike's funeral together. We, you know, we've just, I think we've hit like a lot of milestones that not a lot of friendships get to. Yeah. And again, in such a short span of time. It's We've awesome. only been friends for like eight years. And it feels like a lifetime. A lifetime. You know what's crazy though? <laughs> is I don't even know <clears throat> how you got into acting and music and all that. Really? I, can you share? Uh, Have this you is never be, heard this story? This oh, is going to be a funny. podcast it's for a my own one. indulgence. I want to know everything I don't <laughs> know about you. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> great. I was five. Did you know that? Did you know I didn't? I was that young? You were five yeah. when I you started. I was five years old. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was a casting call for a Patrick Swayze movie. It was a dance movie that was filming in Winnipeg. I still don't know the name of it. I've never seen it. Wow, okay. But the posters for it were plastered all over my dance school, and Taylor and I, my sister, were at the same dance school at the time. And she really wanted to go to this. Um, My mom asked if I wanted to. I had no interest. I was like, no, (laughs) I'm five. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be in a movie. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But they couldn't find a babysitter for me that day. Ashton had other plans, my older sister. And... um, so I ended up taking along to this casting call. We waited in line for like two hours. We got a, they looked at me for some, like, you know, I was just there to tag along, but we got a call about a week later and they said that they wanted to cast, um, me in the movie. And I felt horrible because (laughs) (laughs) this was a casting call for Taylor. Oh my gosh. You were that person. I was that little sister. Yeah. Um, I mean, both of Ashton and Taylor had kind of an opportunity a few years later. Um, 
but just didn't really have the same fire for it as I did. And so, so what was their reaction when you got the role and they did? Uh, I think, th- I think it was just kind of like classic Brooke, like youngest sister, right? Like it's just kind of, it, it had kind of become a running joke. I think in the family that just these weird and random opportunities would happen already at that age. It was just kind of strange. Um, and then the second project I worked on, uh, how the union works for kids, or at least it did at the time with ACTRA, was um, you were given an ACTRA membership. You were part of the union after you had like an allotted amount of like film credits. Okay. Um, but I had dialogue in my second performance, which was with Dean Kane, And so I played his daughter in that. It was a Christmas movie. Oh, wow. And so I had dialogue in that. And so immediately I was put within the union. I became an ACTRA member. I think I was like seven or eight. Wow. And then I just started doing all these really funny, like Winnipeg's pretty well known for shooting some like Big B-list movies? horror movies. Oh, B-list. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. They do some bigger movies too, but but they, they're like um, Sharknado was a big one. I did this <laughs> movie called Eye of the Beast with James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek. Really? <laughs> That's just, amazing. It was just this like huge conglomerate of like different movies that <laughs> I still haven't seen and I think I really should probably get down to watching but wow yeah it was funny the crew during less than kind on lunch hours would often watch movies like sharknado in like the film bedroom everyone would just crash on the bed and then watch (laughs) these at lunchtime while they're eating so that's amazing there's two things that are coming up for me as you're talking Mm -hmm. one um i played Mm -hmm. the opposite role as uh as you in my childhood because um I wanted to be an actor. I had this determination to be an actor. And so there was an audition at Manitoba Theater Center mm-hmm. for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So I went out. And that day I went out, my brother Kyle was uh, sick from school. So he came along for the audition. <laughs> and he pulled a brook. He went. He didn't even actu- actually what audition. An ass. I know. <laughs> he didn't even audition. The Stephen <clears throat> Shipper comes out, the autistic, artistic, autistic director, <laughs> artistic, and he looks at Kyle. He goes, "Who's this kid? We want him for the. We want him for the show." Yeah. And all of a sudden, I didn't even get a chance to. He, he really. So I, I like. I'm in awe that you, you were like my brother. Amazing. I'm your brother, Kyle. And I love that you've. It just kind of started happening and spiraling. What was it like? And what is it like? Mm-hmm. Having that background, it's, I mean, it's not traditional that you're, you're going to school, but you're an actress on film. Like, what was that like growing up with that happening? It, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't know anything different, right? So, um, it kind of just kept snowballing. Um, I remember the first bigger thing I did, which was just like a TV movie, um, I had gone and, and I got into school and I told everyone, I was like, this movie I'm in is on tonight. I was so excited. And, um, I remember my parents sitting me down after that day and just being like, Brooke, it's really good to practice humility. And like, kind of took me through, like, not everyone's going to be excited for you because, <laughs> because like, it's, you know, it's very rare that a kid gets to do this and, um, just kind of walked me through, um, what being humble about it was like. And, and they said, maybe for now we just don't talk about it. Oh, wow. So I didn't really talk about it. And by the time um, I had actually done an episode on another HBO series when I was probably 10 or 11. I think the show was called Sex Life. I think that's what it was called. And I was just played like the student one episode that just said some stuff. But okay. um, <clears throat> uh, a couple of years later when Less Than Kind happened, uh, it was only supposed to be two days on set. 
I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. You there didn't know a, that? There was a role for just two. Yeah, Miriam Goldstein was just supposed to be two, epi- like two, I think one or two episodes, just like a brief moment. Wow. How did it, yeah. how did you end up making I've this? I've never like, told you this, hey? No, um, this is another okay. thing. Yeah, so um, I just remember at the end of my, do you want me to take you like from the audition of it? Yeah, I'd like to hear <laughs> okay. this. this okay. I would love to hear this story. So, I'm a, like an uber fan of the show. <laughs> the character was listed as um, someone that had a speech impediment so thick you couldn't understand what they were saying. And I remembered seeing this movie that had come out just like two years earlier where there was this nerd and she spoke like this. And I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And um, I'd kind of practice it like that. I went to the audition. Oh, no. We're getting a phone call. We are. We, it's gone. We're okay. good. We're good. Coming back. Um, and so I went to the audition. I remember hearing the other girls just talking super normal. And I was like, oh, crap. And I looked at my mom. I was like, do I do the, do I do the impediment? And she was like... Yeah, that's that's what we rehearsed. Like my mom would rehearse all of my so you auditions were, with me. Wow. Okay. And and had to chaperone me, right? So it's it's me and all the moms and all the kids in the room, and um, I go in, and Mark McKinney's in there, and and I have no who idea, like no idea who he is. That's the kids <laughs> in the hall guy. Yeah, for the yeah. Like he's you know and he wow. gets in the hall. He did SNL. That's amazing. Um, for me later, like his claim, to, his biggest claim to fame for me was Spice World. Like he was in the Spice Girls movie. What? Yeah. Wow. And of course. 14 I was like oh my god um but yeah that's that's how the part was cast and then at the end of the second day I just remember Marvin Kaye who was one of the creators um just holding my hand and and just saying we'll see you again and I was like okay (laughs) which tends to be like a a common thing for me in life where it just kind of like you know someone says something genuine but I don't know. I think you get kind of like, I remember even being a kid sometimes and just being like, is this all smoke up my, like, even as a kid, I was like, everyone's just saying nice stuff all the time. It can't be like, yeah, it can't be right. And, um, he just said, no, we'll be seeing you again. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really know what it meant or anything like that. I didn't think about it. And it was kind of nice. Cause like when you're that young and you're doing that much work, there's no risk factor. You're living at home. You're not paying expenses. You're just going to school. So it's like, okay, if I, if I do shows. go again, great. But if I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not going to lose sleep over this, right? Right. And so when they started writing in the character as a lead, it just kind of happened very naturally. And um, I started missing a lot more school. And uh, I would always just tell my friends, oh, yeah, I just have to go to a doctor appointment. And I remember there was one time where a friend just kind of pulled me to the side. And she's like, Brooke, like a few of us are wondering like, are you okay? You've been going to the doctors a lot. And I was like, Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, I've, I've been working on a, a TV show. So like a lot of my friends didn't find out till I was probably 14 or 15. Wow. that I had been doing this for years. What was it like to like be in school and be a bit of a TV star? Was there any um, kind of implication to that for you? I think like it's more in retrospect. I can see a lot more of it now. Like I was bullied a fair amount. I would say, um, I think just, not in a like it's not like I was like the class like nerd or anything like that if anything I was like definitely just like very outspoken and hyper and yeah um but I think a lot of my girlfriends at the time had like taken I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound like let me think it's It's just it's just it's hard enough being a girl in middle school and high school like you've seen the movie Mean Girls yeah and you add in that one of those people is working on a series and it's just it kind of like it's just everything is kind of escalated so it's kind of like an undertone of like envious I guess sometimes and then sometimes there was just like you know guys would come and talk like talk to me about it in a way like they were so gross and wow um you could tell there there there's just like and and this is the thing about like 
you know, it wasn't like I was like a Nickelodeon or Disney star. Like I was a kid on a show that most kids my age weren't allowed to watch. Like, right. and so <laughs> it was just kind of this, like there was that at least separating it, which made it a little safer is that not a ton of people were able to watch it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of my friends thought I was like on a kid's show and then they watched it and they're like, Oh my God. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, and also just like I'd become so accustomed to working with people two to three times my age that connecting with people my age was just a little more difficult. Mm. Um, and so that was probably where the most difficulty came mm-hmm. um, during middle school and high school was just having that connection with people my own age. Right. If you were to go back now that you've lived quite a bit of mm-hmm. life and you were to go back to that, that girl at that age and offer her like advice, what would you tell her? It's so funny because I'll have these days because I work an office job now and, and uh, you know, I'm still kind of mapping out what life looks like because after I moved here, um, kind of saturated the market, booked everything, and then all of a sudden it just like dried up. It was just done. And I haven't worked in about three years. Huh. And so there's days where I'm like, God, like I wish I didn't have anything to compare this to. Like I wish that it had never happened. Like I have those days where I'm like, I, I you know, I, I didn't really have that time and like my childhood to ask like what do I want to do right um I didn't have that time in middle school or high school to ask like what do I want my life to look like what do like what career am I interested in um it kind of had just been mapped out very organically mm-hmm. yeah, and so is- I just kind of been following you know like alchemist following my omens just doing it not asking questions and just doing it and then it's like as soon as I started to ask the questions it was like slipped away you know and I think um if I could look back and if I could talk to my younger self, I would, I, I don't, it's so tough to say, I didn't know any different. Like I just didn't know anything else. So I can't. And if she'd had the same experience that I had, I don't know. I think I would just maybe tell myself not to box myself into one category. Oh, yeah. And that's something I think I did is I told myself I'm an actor. It's all I am. It's all I'll ever be like, and, and that's fine for some people. And, Um, but I think I've just always been a person who's inherently wanted more. I've wanted multiple facets and it's like, even when I am doing just one thing in the arts, I'm usually doing a handful of others. And it's, it's not even like I'm broadcasting it or showing it all the time, but like I'm, I'm continually working, you know, I'm usually writing a couple times a week. I'm usually working on music a couple times a week. I'm usually like Mm. watching films that I know will help inspire these different characters and stuff. Right. So yeah, it's a lifestyle. I suspect. Absolutely. I think Arthur Miller, I think it was, that was asked, he wrote death of a salesman and he was asked, Mm -hmm. um, what are you writing a play? Like, are you writing a new play? And he said, I don't know, probably because he's (laughs) like, you're always writing when you're in this world of it. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm intrigued by, um, the part of you when you were younger that just seemed to like, just go with the flow. Like you Mm -hmm. were just kind of in this, this space of that. And I, I sensed as you were speaking, like there was a part of you that as soon as you started overthinking it, it kind of felt like, Oh, I'm like stuck. But Mm -hmm. that energy to tap into what, what is that? that that you were tapping into that kind of where all the doors just kind of opened and you were like flowing do you like how would you define that I think the reason like uh a lot of people feel stuck in their 20s and 30s and beyond yeah. um is mostly because of risk factors so you have to pay the rent you have to like find childcare. you have to do like all that's these all different the money stuff it's and all money yeah and that's that's even the thing I'm trying to get my head around now um, 
is that, you know, when we're younger, we have this uh, creative spirit inherently, everyone, I think. And yeah. it, creativity shows up in a different way for everyone, right? It, it could be in the arts, it could be in mathematics, it could be in anything. Um, but I think the older we get, the more risk we accumulate. And then people are less willing to just follow their gut, right. follow those omens, follow, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it's something, and, and I was mentioning it over breakfast, it's something that I'm trying to unlearn because I looked at the trajectory of my life from five to 22. Yeah. And it was so, it, it was hard in some ways, you know, like I was working sometimes 12 to 14 hour days and also doing high school on top of that. And a multitude of other things, but, um, there was just that trust, right. That I was on the right path and that it was just going in the right direction. I don't know. It was just like, I didn't even have to think about it. It was just Uh unfolding the way it was supposed to. I really like that idea of unlearning, like all of that Mm -hmm. conditioning that tells you that there's not going to be enough money. There's not going to be enough, Mm -hmm. like, opportunity like all that stuff like how cool is that that there's an invitation right now in your life and i know there's people listening to the podcast that are experiencing Mm -hmm. this where we have this opportunity to unlearn all of the conditioning that Mm -hmm. we've kind of been spoon-fed saying there's not going to be enough and you have to be like perfect and all of this stuff it's like and to to return back to when you were a child when it was like playful and it was like totally you were just trusting Mm -hmm. that intuitive place yeah how cool yeah it's funny because i I distinctly can like pinpoint this one time where after I'd shot a Netflix series, I became so um, engrossed with financial, like financial security Mm. that I just clung tightly to it. And it's like, it was like sand. It just like poured through my fingers. It was just like all of it just disappeared. Really? And it's, it's, I know like (laughs) there's going to be some people that listen to this and they're frustrated because they're like, what do you mean? This like, however much money you made in three months just disappeared. But like it just did. And I went back to school for a short time. I went backpacking right after I came back. My living situation just crumbled. And it's because I like set this, I think I made money out to be kind of an idol. And yeah, I was suddenly without a home. Mm. I didn't have a job. Yeah. There was a time where that's right. Oh my gosh. I remember this. Yeah. 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 I, and <sighs> I have to be careful about how I say this because I know that there's so many people that have lived through this a lot longer than I did. Um, and, and I was very, very grateful to my family who was back in Winnipeg and, um, just said, we'll book your flight. You can come home, you can stay here. And I'm so lucky that I had that support because there's some people that don't have homes that don't have that. Um, but there was this stubbornness in me that has always kind of been there. And this, um, I don't even know what to call it, but it's kind of like move since moving to Toronto, I feel like I've just been treading water trying to keep my head above water. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, so, there's a resilience in you that I really appreciate. Uh, I appreciate it sometimes. And other times I'm like, what? Like things could have been so much easier if I'd just gone home. <laughs> like it could have been yeah. so much easier. What keeps you? Is there like a, a desire, like a burning desire? Uh, in there? Like, I think just here? like, I've, I've considered moving back to Winnipeg so many times and, and I still kind of picture that maybe 
at the end of my life, I'll be there in my sweet little home in the forest. I don't know. I'd like to be in the <laughs> retirement home next to you, no, door to you, so we can just be, continue to be friends. Wonderful. I be love great. it. Let's yeah. do it. We'll be neighbors. We'll have a little, I a little love fence it. like Wilson. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I've always carried this with me, and I probably hopefully always will is just that if I do go home, I want it to be on my own terms. Yeah. And for me, um, it would have felt like, um, how to, uh, not submission. What's the word I'm looking for? Like conforming to society. No, (laughs) no. Uh, it would have felt like I was surrendering to something I didn't want to surrender to. Right. And so, um, the idea of me moving home and, not finding my legs and what was the most difficult situation I've probably ever been in, mm-hmm. um, was very important. So my friend, Melissa, who's this incredible musician, Melissa Bell, she's in the UK now. Oh. Um, she was, she was amazing. Her whole family just kind of, uh, between me and my friend Omar, who had just moved over from Barbados, um, she, we both didn't have places to live and mine was one month. His was the other. And she'd let us both stay with her. Wow. She had a one bedroom. We both stayed on the couch at different times. And, um, it was just kind of like, it just, there was no judgment. There was no expectation wow. of any kind. She was just like, no, my friends need this. And it was kind of like, um, I've been pretty fortunate in I didn't have a ton of friends when I first moved here because I moved here as an actor. I didn't have a job. I wasn't going to school. Yeah, that was really amazing. Like just to yeah. jump into it without oh having any resources on the table. Yeah. Like I don't know if it's amazing or if it was just well. really dumb. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been fortunate enough that the people that I have met in the course of me being here have been just so wonderful. Hmm. And I'm yeah. I really am appreciating though that you were despite all that just like really the resilience and like trusting that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day, I haven't shared this with you. I was flying here. I don't know what it is about coming to Toronto and it pushes edges, but I was flying here and I left my wallet at home and we were like halfway to the airport and I was oh, late. No. It was early morning flight. And so my wife, Chris, and I was like, can I, can you drop me off and then go back and get the wallet? So she did. And I checked in, she goes back to my house and she's trying to find the wallet and She's like, I can't find your wallet. I don't know where it is. And I'm like, well, it didn't get stolen overnight, I don't think. So, like, where's the, where's my wallet? So I ended up checking into the plane because I had my passport and my computer bag. And I checked in, and I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, I have no money, and I'm going to Toronto. Like, <laughs> Yeah, good luck. I've got, I've got my phone that's half charged, and it has an Uber app, so I can maybe, like, get a ride yeah, somewhere. Yeah. But I have no money. And um, so I'm telling the guy next to me, I'm like you're not going to believe this, but I, I'm going to Toronto and I have like no money to my name right now. I don't know where my wallet is. Yeah. And he goes, he reaches into his pocket and he gave me like $15. He's like, here, take this. I think people live on $5 a day on a documentary. <laughs> There's some documentary about <laughs> how you can live on $5 a oh month gosh. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, Maybe not in Toronto. I'm but. like, thank you. <laughs> so I take the money. I felt kind of guilty. I'll be honest. And then yeah. I get off the plane in Toronto and I walk out and it's like 10 steps into Pearson airport. And I look down and there's this $5 bill Stop on the it. ground. And I look down, I'm like, is Kristen like playing a prank on me or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. And I looked down, it's, it's no, it's a $5 bill. So I pick it up and I think, Man, now I have $20. I've got you 20. Asked. So you can actually, no way. you can actually like make money. Just say you don't have money. So I'm convinced that <laughs> if you throw yourself into something yeah. and it's, it's intuitive and how I'm noticing mm. your stories played out, it's like, things are just going to be taken care of and yeah. we get in our own way. 
Yeah. It's so funny because you say this and like, you know, all those condition things and you're just like, well, it's garbage. Like, you know, like it's, yeah. it's not possible, but it is. It is. Because I've lived it and you've lived it. And it is. And then I like, I get, I open my bag when I get to where I'm staying and there's my wallet. <laughs> I packed it. So it's going to be we all right. We got to find that man and we got to give him his $15. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears here on something. Yes. So you're, um, you said you haven't been acting much, but I know that you've been doing a lot of music and mm-hmm. it's amazing. And you're, you've just finished an album. Tell me about the process of that, the making of it, what it's <gasps> all about. You're such oh a talent. Gosh. If yeah. you haven't heard Brooke, you're going to, cause can we play one of the songs on the podcast? Like, can I? Yeah, um, for sure. I'll send you one. Wonderful. Okay. I think you already have it. Great. Did I send it to you? I don't know. I, um, yes. yeah, it was kind of, it was funny. I, so. How did it start? This? You, you wanted to make an album and. Yeah. You had no money. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's that's <laughs> slightly ambitious. Um, that's what you said anyway. Well, it wasn't even like it wasn't on my radar. So I had kind of thrown in the towel, I think, on music for the most part. I was just like, look, I didn't go to school for this. All the, You know, like all these things where I'm like, well, I can't be professional. I didn't go to school. Like all these right. things that are just Excuses kind of. Excuses be yeah, gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think just like my expectation of where I wanted to be was so high that I was like, that's going to take either a super long time or it's just not going to happen. I don't want to invest all this time. Wow. So again, I kind of thrown in the towel. Um, I was still kind of just making songs for myself. And then, um, do you you remember George Nozuka? He was like an early R&B. Is this Justin Nozuka? George, his brother. There's five brothers. Okay. There's five brothers, two sisters. Yeah. Um, George Nozuka. George had reached out. I don't even know, like, he and I... So Phil hosted this uh, open mic in the city that I'd kind of frequented when I first moved here. And that's how I started meeting people. Um, Through Phil, uh, I ended up meeting the guy that I was with many moons ago. Um, And his best friend was Justin Azuka. I met Henry. And then eventually George would kind of come in every once in a while. Met Christian. So it's just kind of funny. I just met them all individually. I love that about you. Um, all these little spontaneous yeah so funny so george had just gotten back into contact and we hadn't really had too many conversations one-on-one but he asked if i'd be part of his writing team and i was like what like me like i just it was very (laughs) confusing because he was someone i used to listen to all the time when i was like growing up in in winnipeg and wow um cool so he started kind of getting me to do some training for some of his artists so he i've always really prided myself on um, being able to write for different genres. So, uh, I was working primarily in folk when you and I were working together. Yeah. Um, and then at this point I was kind of just making these like weird kitschy jazz songs. And then he brought me this country artist and I was like, great, here we go. Like, just let's do it. And I didn't really like, I just didn't give myself that opportunity to doubt it. So I was just like, I'm just going to go with it. Ah, there's that kid in you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we wrote this great country song. Um, and it was called Home, like anything else in music. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs a song named Home. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, that was a great process just because, like, I, I understood my writing process, but it was nice to look at someone else's. So she and I would just um, FaceTime and kind of talk about the elements she wanted to speak about in the song, uh, kind of map out, like, why she wanted to write it, all that stuff, and then um, piece together a bit of the musicality to it. And then I just sent her a rough demo and, and yeah, she picked it and she was like, yeah, great, let's do it. That's <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah. Um, and so George had set me up with these producers 
And I brought my friend who is this brilliant guitarist in the city, TJ Whitelaw, um, to come in and start doing some of these demo sessions. And it was good. It was pop music. It was a lot of like kind of like stuff for the EDM scene, which isn't super soul fulfilling for what, me. What's the EDM scene? I'm so out of the loop. What does that mean? Oh, Just, what does that stand for? Uh, electronic dance music. Oh, I thought it was excellent dance music, but okay, it's electronic. <laughs> All right. Anyways. Um, and I just remember someone asking, like, is it fueling you or is it um, like taking, like draining you? Oh, that's a good question. And that's a question I ask myself about a lot of things now. I love that. And uh, I remember sitting in the train sa- station with TJ and he's like, I want to play you something. And he played me just this instrumental he made. And I was like, th- that. Like, it just, it, right away, I was like, that, mm. w- you know, we needed it, you know? And um, he and I created a R&B duo called Nala. Oh, cool. And we, I think, played two gigs. And on our second gig, I was trying to get this uh, drummer named Robin Claxton. And I was like, look, man, we're playing this gig tonight. I know this is super last minute. We're filling in for someone. I was like, "Do you like? can you come on? And he was like, oh, it's too bad. I'm, I'm playing a gig at the Piston. And I was like, well, that's the gig we're playing. So you're coming on stage. Wow. <laughs> yes, we happen the to be synergy. playing the same bill. Yeah, it's pretty Amazing. nuts. So he came up and played with us. And it worked out really well. Um and then my producer, who I didn't know at the time, Thomas, was sitting in the audience and he came up to us at the end and he's like, that was incredible. Like, I, w- I would love to collaborate with you guys on something. And again, I did the, hmm, OK, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> TJ was like, Brooke, this is the guy. Like, this, this is the, the producer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and wow. I again, I was just kind of like, I don't want to I don't want to do like, I'm just tired of it. I don't want to do it. And uh, TJ was pretty um, insistent about it. And. We had a meeting with Thomas and it just didn't feel, um, I think there's been so many meetings where people play their cards really close to their chest. They don't show an enthusiasm that actually exists Mm. and they're just trying to be like, you know, the, the, like the power dynamic, the the alpha and that, right? Yeah, totally. But it just felt so normal and real and great. And Tom and I ended up working together. TJ had to back out for personal reasons, but Thomas and I ended up working together for three years. Really? Yeah. Which was a really unique experience. Um, did you know you were making a record? Or an album? Yeah, we made like two demos. Um, we were going to apply for the Juried Sound recording with Factor. Okay. And I, I had no money. <laughs> wow. And so we somehow got these demos together just between the two of us. And we applied for the grant. And I just, when TJ left the project, my confidence was just like completely shot. Mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh God. Like you guys were a duo. We were a duo. Um, a lot of like the financial um obligation between that was supposed to be split between two and then it fell on my shoulders right so it was just again it came down to money where i was like i don't know how this is going to work out but we got the jade sound recording which wow, was nuts that's and great yeah and so I for mean, those listening that means that brooke got some money to record her album yes <laughs> yes yeah. um and it was cu- it was kind of interesting because between like the drama of the fallout and then some other things that ensued um, the album took a lot longer than we'd hoped, you know, like we thought six months, 
three years. Three years. Well, yeah. Good things take time. Yeah. From conceptualization to the, the final of it. Um, and that came with uh, bringing on like a world-class guitarist who showed up like super stoned, couldn't get through the songs. Wow. That was um, <laughs> not being able to pay people on time. So I was just like, we can't do it until I have that money. Like I just didn't feel comfortable yeah. asking people to wait on money. Right. Um, so applying for more grants. And then I had like a complete breakdown one night because I had – I think it was it was between like eight hundred dollars and a thousand dollars, which isn't a lot to some people, but it it's the world to some, and and to me it was the world, and I was on my bathroom floor just hyperventilating, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, and I ended up making a Kickstarter that night out of complete like <laughs> I was just terrified. And and I was like, <laughs> those listening Kickstarters where you it's like crowd yeah crowdsourcing crowdsourcing yeah where yeah you, yeah so people can help fund a project um by donating to it so you kind of create this page you create pledges so people will get certain prizes based on the money they contribute wow and uh i was just like this is my last resource like this is the absolute last thing i can do right now because i can't like my savings i bled completely dry everything was gone huh. and uh i made the kickstarter i stayed up till four in the morning i got up at six for work wow and uh and we made the money you did yeah and you made the album and we made the album is it out now it's being released in the spring this spring yeah um Amazing. so right now i'm just kind of shopping it around i'm hoping to get some rep um, just so I can stop doing these things all on my own. <laughs> and just say a bit about the, the album, like just the actual album itself yeah. and the songs and how, like what yeah. the theme is or the vibe. So that's another thing that kind of, uh, reworked itself as we were doing it. Um, what had started as like a very, um, true R and B album had become very much like a live session soul yeah. album, which is such a strange thing to put out in your twenties. Right. Um, but I don't know. I just, for me, it was just a very cathartic process. It was a lot of material that I had to kind of get out. Mm. And um, there's some programming on it that was done by Dan Miller, who just did a beautiful job of kind of, for me, it was really important to kind of marry the two worlds of like synthetic programming and then also having live musicians to me because I want to get more in, I think, to the pop world with a bit more programming. Yeah. Um, Where does that come, like those <clears throat> ideas to know how to navigate what you're going to create come from? Like the... I, I want it to be this certain way. Like, yeah. I think it, it's, I mean, I grew up listening to like a variety of different music, so you can probably hear it in a lot of my singing, but Nora Jones was one of my biggest influences yeah. when I was younger. I was like certain at one time I was going to be like a rock musician. If I could just get the voice crack and the smoking down, I was certain <laughs> at one point that I was going to be a jazz singer, a certain at one point that I was going to be an opera singer. Like I did the Royal Conservatory, I did that stuff, you know? And so wow. um, I think it was just kind of like uh, combining all those influences and then just picking out like different parts of different albums I love. So even if you take a song like um, If You Want Me To Stay, Sly and the Family Stone, like for me that bass line will always resonate with me. Wow. I wanted something very bass heavy and so I brought on Alex St. Kitts and this is the wonderful thing about the album is I managed to get every musician I wanted on it. And Alex and I had met when I was doing backup vocals for Francesco Yates years All ago, right. who's now opening for Justin Timberlake across the world, which How is amazing. so nuts. And um, Alex is just such a spectacular human. And that was one of the, the big things that I kind of realized is, you know, I'd, I'd gone through so many times where people had kind of um, just disappointed me. <laughs> Yeah. in terms of like loyalty and I just really wanted to make sure that the people that I was bringing onto the album um were you know 
amazing musicians, but also people that just whose energy I wanted on the album. That's amazing. I I'd love to hear a song right now. Can we uh, move into what 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 song do you want everybody ooh, to hear right now? Ooh, um, I'll probably do "Loving You." Loving or, you or midnight. <laughs> any any backstory we should hear before we listen? Uh, loving you was kind of the idealization of an early love, like a a new romance, and midnight is just all about daddy issues. Okay. <laughs> like I said, I needed to get this material. So what out. are we listening to right now? This is. What do you want? Do you want something more light? I lo- I feel like that. Yeah. Let's light. do loving you. This is loving you. Great. This is Brooke Paulson with loving you on Let's Connect.
Wow, that was such a great version. I'm so excited for this record to come out. Seriously, it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Good job. I'm very good, excited. Good job. Brooke, we only have a few minutes left mm-hmm. on the podcast. And I know that you have had um, quite a bit of shifting spiritually mm-hmm. and energetically. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a little bit about the Me Too movement. Yeah. I'd just like to hear a little bit of your perspective on all of that because they kind of all... It's, I don't know. It's a hot topic. It's like there's this whole trend of Me Too. There's there's so much going on in the world that way, and I want to mm-hmm. hear what you think about it. Totally. Um, so for me, that – oh, God, that was a really interesting thing. I kind of just found my legs again after my own experience within the industry, um, just with uh, an assistant director on set. And I was still kind of trying to, to process that. The Giangameshi trial had just happened. I think there was about like a year or two between that and the Me Too movement that, um, yeah, I think closer to two years. Um, But it was funny because my boyfriend, Gabe, was on tour doing Shakespeare in Love. Mm. And the movie was actually produced by Harvey Weinstein. Oh, wow. And he said, he said, yeah, it's like it's a weird time to be doing this because the whole Harvey Weinstein scandal and Mm. it had just broke and I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, what do you mean? And, And he was like, like, Google it. And I looked it up and I was like... You know, it's just, it's really interesting because if, if you've been in it uh, through anything um, either similar to or directly involved with something like sexual assault, it brings up um, just like a wave of everything and tons of anxiety and no idea where to put that energy. And I, th- I think I just started kind of doing like a bit of, um, I shared quite a number of articles on Facebook and Instagram um, not directly naming my experience, but definitely alluding to it. And just, I think it's, it's kind of what was really both, um, both parts really sad and really, um, quite incredible was the influx of, of women posting me too that day. I'll never forget that. Like it was yeah, just, that was a, that was a person moment. after person after person after person. It was like, um, uh, mothers in their forties. It was young actors in their twenties. And just this, this rise of that was pretty incredible. And, um, it broke my heart, but it at the same time made me feel so, um, supported. Cause I, I suddenly knew I was like, Oh my gosh, this has happened to everyone in my gender. Like th- there's no woman that's like, and, and I know that there's some that will say, um, even like sexual harassment hasn't happened to them. I just don't think that's true. Like I just, yeah. on, on some level, I think every woman's experienced it. And, um, it's just interesting cause it caused me to kind of look in the rear view mirror, mirror for the first time and just see a number of experiences, um, uh, in, in my time as a, as a young actor. Mm. And there were a lot of things that like weren't okay. And I ended up penning a letter to <laughs> penning a letter, <laughs> typing a letter, um, to the heads at actor at my union. And I just said, look, at this age, this happened. At this age, this happened. At this age, this happened. Yeah. And I just said, what are your steps that you're going to be taking to ensure the safety of women on set, but also kids? And that's the thing is like, um, I, I kind of started suggesting these, these ideas of possibly bringing on 
an actor representative to every set to make sure the kid was like okay and well taken care of and they're like well that's a thing we have in place i was like i vi- like, i think maybe that happened twice Didn't in really my happen. career that a person came wow. to like check check in on how everything was. And I didn't trust them as a resource because I didn't know them. Like, yeah. you know, and it's just, um, it's pretty, it was a pretty traumatic thing to go through. Um, but again, it's kind of just, it's a multitude of feelings. I mean, yeah. it's, it's equal parts, um, like I said, saddening. It's also very encouraging, but it's also, you know, there's a bit of an obligation I feel right now to share a bit more of my story, but it's hard cause it's, you don't, you know, and, and then there's the whole mentality of, I'm like, is that why I haven't worked in three years is because of this incident or, you know, is my right. name suddenly on the list? That's just like, don't work with me. Like I just, I don't know. And it's so funny cause I've, I met a, a number of people in my life at that time, including my partner Gabe and um who had met me and said there's this intensity about me that just repelled people and um and I know why and it was because of what happened on that set and and um I think that there's been this conversation of you know women speaking out about it and I think you have to do that on your own time um but there's also a lot of um animosity I think between the two sides and, um, a lot of people that maybe partook in something that are feeling a lot of guilt and shame, but I think it's so important to have, um, grace for people. And, uh, I think for me, it's been very important to understand that people change. Mm. And, um, it's my hope that, uh, the more outspoken we are on this, the more people will come to terms with things they might've done in their past and, mm-hmm. um, hopefully have a bit more compassion and a bit more, um, bravery to speak out on those things and say, look, I by no means was perfect during this stretch of time to reach out to those people to, to make those amends or at least try to. Yeah. And, um, I think it's really important right now because there's a lot of anger for a lot of people and that's very real. And, um, that's certainly still where I am. I'm still very angry about the whole thing, Yeah. but I really want to move in the next couple of years, if I like look at goals of mine, it's, it's to move that into direction of love because I know that sounds very hippie, but like, no, it's unbelievable what you're saying. Yeah. But I, I, I really believe that like we can't heal. We can't grow from this. We can't, um, begin to have more women in positions of power in the film community and everywhere else, um, without having this mutual understanding of where we've been and where we want to go. And, um, so I think the more people that can kind of become a bit more outspoken on it, the better. Yeah. And I need to hold myself accountable to that for sure. But it's going to be a couple more years, I think, for a couple more people. And yeah. uh, I'm one of them. Well, I think it's amazing. And I'm very grateful that you have the courage to speak about it here in this forum. And also just this um, invitation that you're you're referencing to like move towards grace and towards love, and I'm also hearing the word like forgiveness too mm-hmm, on, on mm-hmm. all levels of that because that's healing. And yeah. and I yeah. want to, I know that this is, you know, and you might want to put at the beginning of this that there, there might be a bit of a trigger for some people listening to the podcast. Yes. I know it's something that happens to me every time I'm listening to something, all of a sudden a subject like this gets brought up and I just, a wave of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want anyone who might be listening to this and my story, I'm at a, I'm at a different place than a lot of other people will be with their, their experience. Yeah. And to feel angry is also okay. It is. Yeah. 
just just don't stay in that anger i think is the important thing but take your time in it feel it oh yeah yeah i i one of my teachers used to say emotion is energy in motion trying to Mm. flow through the body and Mm-hmm. It's all processing. And if we hold those emotions and don't let ourselves feel them, they get dammed up in the physical body and they can ultimately turn into dis-ease Absolutely. and all of that. So, yeah. so I love what you're saying here to mm-hmm. just allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. Oh, I and felt it. <laughs> yeah. And for all of you listening too, it's like to give ourselves permission to be vulnerably present to what's here right now and mm-hmm. to move in the direction towards love, whatever that means. Yeah. Is that what you're? Yeah. I'm hearing that from you. It's you're you're inspiring in this. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. Yeah, I love that we're here in a car, and it's like we've seen weather changes. It's now yeah, it's raining. so sunny, and now it's raining out. And I suspect because of the topic, and then it's going to start getting because sunny. Because of the topic. Because we're going to move towards love. <laughs> so look outside here. But uh, it's just been awesome, and I'm just so grateful for our friendship and connection. Yeah. And you, uh, you're an amazing woman. I Thanks, so appreciate Keith. your. Your move from like resilience in, in, into love and how you're you're on that journey and it's like you're doing amazing things in the world. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> no, you I'm, are. I'm in it. You know, I'm. You I'm, are. Yeah, I, I'm feeling the shift right now for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've got plans. It's gonna be good. I'm excited to get this record and <laughs> see you on the screen and to see everything else screen. that's unfolding too. So Great. if you haven't checked out Brooke Paulson, um, definitely check her out. Is your website? brookpaulson.com oh, or is that it's, down it's down it's down right now you can now. look at my instagram Where can we, instagram <laughs> is what what's your instagram? that's probably that it's just my name brooke paulson um i would say that's probably the social media platform that i use the most i have twitter great verified on twitter but i never use it so we can find you at instagram brooke paulson paulson you've got it p-a-l-s-s-o-n and that's a wrap paulson Brooke, thanks for being here on <laughs> Let's course, Connect. Of course, my pleasure. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that interview just as much as I did in downtown Toronto in a rental car with Brooke Paulson. What an amazing musician as well. I, uh, I want to encourage you to go check out her album. She is just one talented girl. Um, an extra little bonus today on the podcast before we sign off. Twin Kennedy, an incredible duo, uh, Julie and Carly Kennedy, who I've known for quite some time, uh, are going to perform a song in a moment. Uh, Just a little background on them. I was down in Nashville a few weeks ago. I ran into them there. I run into them in the most random places. Flin Flon, Manitoba once, on the road with uh, my band Keith and Renee. We've become friends over the years, and they are just really, really talented twin sisters and musicians and just songwriters. And so to end off our podcast, uh, since this is a holiday edition in a sense, they're going to serenade us with one of their songs off their holiday album. So without further ado... Here's Twin Kennedy. Frostbite on the front porch swing, snowflakes on the window pane. Icicles on evergreens, white is covering everything. Oh, no one wants to go outside, but I feel a little warmer with your hands. Snow can fall all night. That'd be fine when we're together. I love cold weather. Ooh. When we're together, I love cold weather. Ooh. 
Let's let Lou and Nella sing a song. Baby, it's cold outside, but I feel a little warmer with your hand. All right, well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. I hope the music of Twin Kennedy plus the interview with Brooke and her music has inspired you greatly. I wish you all a really wonderful holiday season, and I thank you so much for being part of my community. Let's stay in touch. Send me your emails, your ideas for guests that should be on the podcast. And whatever you do, make sure you carve out some time for you during this busy season of the holidays. Have a wonderful time, everyone. Love and deepest blessings to you all.